Hello and welcome to this episode of TASME Time, Talks in Medical Education. I'm Oliver, an internal medicine trainee based in London. I'm Rob, a GP trainee based in Lincolnshire. And I'm Katie, an academic GP trainee based in Plymouth. And as a special occasion, all three of us have got together to host this episode, which is quite novel. How are you both? Yeah, I'm not bad, actually. Thanks, Oliver. It's um, This has been quite a nice uh, end to what has been not the best day in the world um, for various reasons. And it is always nice to see both of your faces. Not that the listeners can see your faces, but I can. You can hear our voices. And yeah, similar for me, it's, I've had my first day back to uni as a student and I'm feeling very old and aged and this revitalized me slightly this evening um and was very fun to catch up with you both and of course with our um guests as well. Today we're joined by Dr Polly Simpson and Dr Sam Chumley who like the three of us have been teaching fellows or lecturers at some point in our careers. We thought it would be a great opportunity to reflect on our experience of these roles. So you, if you're thinking of applying for a teaching fellow role, or perhaps have just started as one, how you might be able to make the most of it. Welcome to TASME Time, Polly and Sam. It's great to have you with us today. Um, to get us started, and maybe as a bit of way of introducing yourselves, are you happy to tell us a little bit about your career so far? Yeah, Polly. yeah, of course. Yeah, so um, my name is Polly. Um, I'm currently an IMT1, um, just started training in West Yorkshire. Um, prior to this, um, I have been in Leeds for the last nine years, I've never left, came for university. Um, I did my foundation training in West Yorkshire as well. And then last year, for my F3 year, I was working as a clinical teaching fellow um, at the Leeds Teaching Hospitals Trust. Um, at the moment, alongside IMT, um, I am working as a visiting lecturer for the University of Leeds as well, which is sort of how I'm keeping my foot in the education door. Nice. How are you finding balancing those two <laughs> roles? Um, it's been a little bit challenging. Um, I'm finding that actually in order to get the teaching time that I want, I'm having to do more work on my annual leave and zero days than I would have ideally liked. Um, but I'm in quite a supportive department at the moment. Um, so they're trying their best to be able to get me study leave and things. So it's, it's going okay so far. Lovely. Yeah, I know, I know the, the struggle <laughs> that, that can yeah. be. And Sam? Uh, thanks. I, uh, I, I think I'm a bit jealous of Polly, to be honest, having been in the same place for nine years. I, uh, I've moved around quite a bit. I, um, I grew up in Essex and then I did my, went to medical school in Exeter. I spent two years in Exeter, year one and two, and then went down to Truro in Cornwall, which was absolutely lovely, uh, for years three and four. Then year five, I did my intercalation year where I did a master's in clinical education and then did my final year back in Exeter. After that, did my F1 and F2 in Yorkshire. And then I did an F3 year, which was just quite a fun year, really, um, where I did a bit of traveling. And then my F4 year was being a clinical teaching fellow at the University of Bristol. Um, so back down to the southwest. And then now I am, I've started my GP training 
which I'm doing at 60%. So three days a week, I do GP training. While doing two days a week, I'm a, an academy's clinical teaching coordinator, which is basically I'm working to uh, coordinate a lot of the CTFs or the clinical teaching fellows across the different sites of the University of Bristol. So we have nine different sites down here. So I'm working to support the 100 CTFs we have. Wow, you have 100 teaching fellows that's loads yeah yeah well across the different sites yeah i've got some that i mean uh some of the sites they have just three ctfs and then others have like 30 um so it really does vary quite a lot uh, all with different uh needs but they've all got their local support teams from the managers they have there and the deans they have on site but i'm just kind of work representing the university to just coordinate that a bit better so that i mean everyone is kind of seeing me as a bit of captain collaboration where i'm just trying to get everyone to work together really <laughs> And I think it might be worth um, us as hosts um, talking about that. We've mentioned it in previous episodes, but I was a um, medical education fellow or teaching fellow a few years ago now um, for my F3 as well in London, which was based in a hospital. And then Rob, you were similar, weren't you? Yeah, so I um, I did an F3 and an F4. As a clinical teaching fellow, um, working in local hospitals as well. And that's when I did my master's in medical education. And Katie, do you want to tell us a bit about what you did? Because it was a little bit different than a teaching fellow, wasn't it? Yeah. So, um, Sam, I probably shared a similar initial trajectory to you. So up the southwest, I'm from down here and trained in Plymouth and Exeter uh, and was in Plymouth for my, well, in Exeter for my first couple of years and then in Plymouth and then did the master's in clinical education in Plymouth as part of an integrated Um, degree as well and then I went off to um, Bristol and Taunton for my foundation training I wasn't um, so I I had sort of this role as an education fellow but that wasn't it wasn't the same as a clinical teaching fellow it was just sort of an honorary title and I basically had to do some teaching stuff around my full-time clinical work and then as an F3 F4 I worked as a lecturer at the University of Plymouth um, and that was about probably about 70 or 80 percent so I lectured on a variety of different programs in a variety of different roles and then I locumed alongside that so I was still working clinically but my main sort of job was the lecturing work and then now I'm an academic GP trainee so um, I'm still in Plymouth I haven't gone far either Polly so I'm you know I'm a big fan of staying in one place too. and um, my academic role is actually in clinical research but I found myself drawn very much back into the education and quite a lot of my academic work is doing sort of medical education type work as well as um, doing some community engagement type research with a really clear education focus for community members and patients rather than sort of your pure sort of clinical research so that's where I am now so that's me I think one of the things that'd be really useful I think to start talking about might be about why people became clinical teaching fellows because for me my very clear motivation was that I wanted to get a master's in medical education and it was a way of doing that with some protected time and some funding but clearly for you Sam you'd already got a qualification so what was it that made you apply um, to be a clinical teaching fellow? I just really love teaching. I, I really wish it was more complex than that. I um I I remember thinking that I was breaking the mold for my family because we've got we're a family of teachers like 
my parents' teachers, my granddad's teacher, my aunts and uncles' teachers. I really thought I was breaking the mold by being a doctor. And then actually very early on in medical school, I realized teaching was where my passion was. And like we did we did PBL and like problem-based learning, like so much that was in small group, your peer teaching. And I was like, I really love this. And then for the intercalation, it was so great that the opportunity came up that I could then do the master's in education, learn some of the theory behind it as well as get some more opportunities to do some teaching. And after having my fun F3 year, I thought, I'm not ready to go into training just yet. What other fun year could I do? And I was like, wow, combining clinical and teaching. And the split I had, it was 80% teaching, 20% clinical. I think that's what I was ready for after the pandemic. A nice 20% clinical, mostly teaching. And yes, great fun. So yeah, purely just fun and passion, really, Rob. It's really interesting that you said that you were trying to buck the trend by being medical. I re- that really resonated with me. I'm from a te- family of teachers, teaching assistants, nobody medical. Um, and I think, yeah, very similar sort of sort of ideas when I was sort of studying part of our studies. Um, it's probably similar for you, Sam. I don't know whether anybody else had to do it during that undergraduate, but we had to do like a teaching type project and I loved it. And then I was hooked and that's sort of how I got into the world of teaching. And then my family were like, no, the shame you're a teacher now too. Look at us mold breakers here on Tasmi time. (laughs) It's just, it's it's funny because weirdly I don't come from a family of teachers, but I wanted to be a teacher and didn't end up becoming a teacher for reasons that sort of complex things but my sister's a teacher and it's funny that like in in lots of ways now my family is also a family of teachers it's just that I obviously teach in a different way to her so there's a lot of similarities there I guess what about you Polly do you come from a family of teachers I don't um I'm like team NHS family nurses and physios (laughs) like that's that's my entire family tree um I think for me it was um something I'd always I'd done a little bit of during my time at university, little bit, little bits of peer teaching and stuff. I always kind of liked it. Um, very much knew that I wanted to do an F3 from quite early on in foundation. I graduated in 2020, was already pretty burnt out by the time I'd got through my first job. Yeah. Um, and then um, sort of realised, sort of particularly as I was getting into my F2 and so I'm more confident in my own clinical ability, that I felt really frustrated every time I had medical students with me because I was constantly being pulled in like five different directions and was really enjoying my, my teaching that I was doing sort of ad hoc on the job, but was constantly felt like I wasn't able to do the students justice, wasn't able to give them kind of the time that I wanted to give them. Um, and was getting like quite good feedback and you know, I got some like commendations and stuff and was like, actually, I think this is something I could see myself building into my career sort of in the future, you know, looking at burnout protection from clinical work what other kind of things can I do so thought actually we're getting to the point where I can apply for roles now for my F3 there's a few teaching fellow jobs that are available sort of in my region let's apply let's just talk about how much I've enjoyed teaching and see if I get the post and then sort of I feel like I came into it with sort of a bit of a spark that I felt like teaching could be something I really enjoyed and then have come out of it with knowing that that's sort of something that I want to be a big feature of my career. So I think I was a bit less, less like certain going into it, but um, I think it was a really great development opportunity for me. Yeah, I think my, my experience was quite similar. Actually, I think I probably qualified a year, but um, I was an F1 when COVID hit and it was, a, I think, a, a stressful time for everyone in the NHS. And I think particularly early on in your career, mm. um, 
and yeah, needed some time out after foundation. And similarly, I think talking, it's come out a little bit already how different some of the clinical teaching fellow roles can be between whether you work for a university or a hospital, or or I think in Rob's case, you were a, a sort of specialty specific teaching fellow and there's quite a bit of variety did um sam was your your teaching fellow year was it anything was it specific or was it quite generalized so it was um it was quite generalized really so across the university of bristol there's as i said previously there's nine different sites and each of those do it very differently but what they do all have in common is that the clinical teaching fellows are employed by the hospital trust so the university would pay the trust, the trust then pays what we call the academy, and the academy pays the clinical teaching fellow. They are technically employed by the trust. Um, and at where I was based, the Bristol Royal Infirmary, I was my role was that I was in charge of uh, the year, year three, or half of the year three students is who I looked after. Um, and then different academies work differently within the University of Bristol, where some may be allocated uh, specialties. Um, rather than student cohorts but for me it was a student cohort and therefore all the specialties that that entailed so for me it was uh, a pathway where they had dermatology ophthalmology vascular ENT and all of kind of like the the other stuff rather than the core bits um, I don't know how I ended up with that um, but I think I think I made it work. <laughs> nice so quite varied then yeah and how I mean, about it... you Polly? So... Um, yeah, I, I, mine was mine was also very varied. I was employed by a trust and the way it seems to work in West Yorkshire is we're actually very distant from the university and have a lot of autonomy at the individual placement sites about how we run kind of any kind of placement activity with them. Um, and our trust had transitioned over since about 2019 from having a very sort of the traditional sort of nurse practitioner led teaching to then moving towards doctor-led teaching um so it was very much sort of the slate blank here's what we did last year what do you guys want to do so there were six of us um we primarily taught third year students we had them for a set session a week and then we're given a lot of freedom to just sort of create whatever we wanted so we sort of looked at where student need was and developed it so we taught cross-specialty generally it was very broad so medicine elderly surgery for um, third years and then if any of us had special interests so one of my colleagues um, he's now an ophthalmology ST1 he got himself into the ophthalmology placement and started teaching there Um, you know one of my colleagues was particularly wanted to teach final year students and wanted to do some more sort of on the job stuff and we built that kind of scheme so I think I was I was quite fortunate actually to work in a, uh, a role where it was pretty much we trust you guys here's the placement numbers what do you want to do with them so got a lot of flexibility I think that's always a really good opportunity thinking about development as well isn't it I think my job was very similar to yours in that sense and although my area of responsibility was general surgery we worked as a team um, across two hospital sites in one county and and I cross-delivered a little bit of some other random stuff and as need developed in my two years I ended up teaching a bit of obs and gynae, which again, for people that know me, is quite laughable. Um, <laughs> but I think I think it is nice to have the opportunity to have a bit of a blank slate and then develop things. And I learned a lot about what works, what didn't work as well. And it's certainly thinking about what I took from my year from a CV. I think it's it's that being able to say, well, actually, I took some learning outcomes and I worked out how to deliver that in an integrated way 
to make sure that that was delivered effectively in my bit of the curriculum on my site mm-hmm. um so i think that's quite a good learning opportunity really um what was yours like oliver what do you, i don't know a lot about your fellowship to be honest uh yeah so mine was very generalized as well we covered um all the way up from year one when they rocked up for their like two weeks in the year they had a placement all the way up to final year and similarly we had set things we had to deliver um that were sort of mandated by the university and the medical school and then lots of freedom to kind of add things on I think my the trust I worked for was across two sites and actually we worked quite differently on different sites with we actually um we set up lots of programs but got lots of teaching delivered by other people within the trust so we we had like we were doing lots of organizing and supporting maybe f1s and f2s to do teaching and as well alongside us to really sort of kind of build up the um sort of workforce of educators in the hospital whereas my colleagues at the other site um there was less of an atmosphere of that and they had to deliver they were delivering sometimes hourly sessions nine to five Monday to Friday which was a lot of work and like really heavy considering the amount of work that goes into a session and so I think it shows there's like such variety in the um jobs you can have Katie yours must have been really different again because you were actually in a university rather than on a hospital site yeah it's been really interesting listening to all of your reflections because actually it's made me realize I really haven't worked directly with many clinical teaching fellows because when we were undergraduates it it wasn't as common and then I never went and did it so I haven't I haven't had that experience um it was it was a considered decision for me so I did I'm obviously really interested in teaching um and have been for a long time and that was the most obvious route in um to be able to balance a clinical and academic career earlier on in training or out of training So that was the most obvious route and it was the one that I was thinking about taking. But there was a few things that made me a little bit hesitant. And the main thing which I think Rob raised was the fact that um, you can undertake a qualification. So you can do your postgraduate certificate in clinical education with most CTF posts. I know that's not the same for everybody. Um, But was coming from it from a similar perspective as Sam and having had the qualification already, I was a little bit hesitant to do something and then not get a qualification out of it or have time there and the funds to do something and and not use it or replicate the work. So that was my first sort of hesitancy around a CTF role. And then the second thing was, was that I was really interested in the workings of like academia. Like I was quite drawn to seeing how that education worked like from a university perspective across a few different programs and wanted to really get involved with sort of like some really boring stuff I sound really nerdy but like standard setting for assessments and um, marking essays and I know that some clinical teaching fellow roles you can do that and you definitely will be planning assessments and but I wanted that other side of things and getting involved with the pre-clinical years a little bit as well Um, and also I sort of hopefully will have an academic role in the future and I thought it would be good to sort of carry that on as soon as I possibly could putting into practice some of that work that I'd done in my master's so I was able to work on the physician associate program 
the BMBS program with years one, two, and then sometimes year three as well as some ad hoc other sessions with the other year groups. And then also there was a new program rolled out when I first started, which was the foundation year zero program, which was for students with what from winding access backgrounds. And that is my main interest. And I got to lecture on that program. That was invaluable. I loved that. So I did a lot of different things, but coming at it from a completely non-clinical perspective, it was a very, obviously a very different experience. Um, and I just wanted to maybe ask like, Polly, how how are you finding it um, doing the visiting lecturer work compared to your clinical teaching fellow role? And I, I don't know. And then obviously for you, Sam, as an add-on to that, what's the main differences from having that role as a teaching fellow to now having this organisational role? So Polly, if you want to start, if that's all right. Yeah, no, it's um, it's been a really interesting transition. I think one of the things that I found quite different is um, with our visiting lecturer scheme, in it's sort of it's seen as a progressional program and particularly in the first year you're teaching other people's material and so that's been a, a big transition for me is it's sort of preset small group lecturing that we're doing for early years medical students and I've, I've essentially been said okay here's the slide set that we normally deliver you can deliver it however you want but this is this is what you're coming here to do today um and I also think it's um it's been my, my role's been quite different in the as a teaching fellow, I had I got to build up quite a, a good relationship with students. I'd see them the same time every week for several weeks. Um, whereas with this, it's very much, oh, I can get a study leave day in two months' time when you need to do this clinical examination teaching. Cool, I'll book that in. And I just show up, deliver the teaching, and then kind of disappear off again. So it's, it's kind of transitioning to, particularly for this year, whilst I'm still in there, sort of phase one of the visiting lecturer kind of build-up scheme. Um becoming very much more of like it's like to use a term that we use in in clinical work a bit more of like a service provision teacher versus like I feel like I kind of as a teaching fellow had a lot more scope to kind of develop my own role and kind of develop those kind of pastoral roles as well thank you and that's it's, it's one of those ways of like getting you to like keep that balance but obviously there's that lack of continuity and that that must be quite quite difficult um as I mentioned just a minute ago Sam I'd be really interested to hear about this role that you it sounds like you've sort of carved out for yourself and it's very much it sounds very much like a management leadership type role so please do share with us how that's working for you yeah I mean so um the fact that I went into the CTF role with the uh, Masters in Clinical Education already they uh, there was obviously a, a pot of funds that they said that I could put towards um well, it was meant to be towards this an, a further education qualification. I said, well, what's the point? I've like, it'll give me a PG cert on top of a MSc. There's little point for that. So I, um, in a, it's a very rare circumstance, but I got approval to allocate these funds towards a different um, course. And I did a, a PGC, uh, yeah, postgraduate certificate in strategy, change and leadership, which all felt like perhaps quite abstract and I think even when I applied to go into the course with the business college they said why are you doing this like most people who are doing this they are uh, people who are working in uh, business industries and I tried I was spinning it saying that it's very important for a GP to understand business and and so on and actually it's been really helpful in this role I've as you say carved myself now so the role I've got now is supporting these uh, clinical teaching fellows I I um 
kind of built on the work that was done by some of the CTFs last year to uh, to provide an induction for these hundred CTFs, and actually it's now like I'm that felt like I was teaching the teaching fellows, which was really satisfying. And actually just because people come into a new university and they're now expected to teach students, they don't know how the curriculum works. They don't know how the course works here. They don't, and, and I could then offer that. So it started off a lot more uh, teaching, which is very familiar with, but then very quickly has now become, yeah, as you said, a lot more like management or leadership role. And there's systems already in place at the University of Bristol, I think, that focus on structure and system and who reports to who and how processes take place. But my role is much more focusing on culture and support, which I think is quite, um, they're soft outcomes, which I think some people uh, can dismiss and say is unnecessary. But actually, a lot of the clinical teaching fellows, at the different um, academies that I, I visit, and I do actually go there once a month to each of these academies, check in on everyone. They seem to really appreciate just having someone from that central team rocking up and like, hey, guys, how's it going? Because everyone, I think, can typically get quite siloed in their academies and they have their own way of doing things. But it's just having that central link to get everyone working together and reminding each other that you're not alone if you all are struggling at an academy speak to someone speak to me and I'm not just trying to be the the hub that each spoke reports to I'm, I'm trying to forge these links within these academies themselves and establish platforms that they support each other like I've just come back from a week of leave and before I left I said guys just remember you've all got each other to support each other you don't you don't need me which which is weird because it feels like then I'm kind of doing myself out of a role but <laughs> but uh but still, I think it's quite important. So yeah, very, a bit unusual, an unusual take on a role. I think what's quite interesting is that thinking about what I know about Oliver's career, Katie's career, and, and what you've talked about, Sam and Polly, is that what all of us have done is ended up using our teaching fellow roles to springboard onto carrying on in education. Um, and I think that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think it's clearly had an influence one way or another on our career direct trajectories, whether we were already destined for a career in education, um, in, in some cases clearly by by family history, if nothing else, or, or, or whatever. I think it's interesting that we have all carried that forward. And I think that's really positive. And I think all of us, one way or another, have, have taken on roles in greater level of responsibility using that ctf role as a or equivalent in katie's case as a, a sort of springboard and i think that's i think that says a lot for the role um i thought it'd be interesting to find out what some of the less positive things i guess so any challenges that you might have had when you were ctf maybe start with you polly yeah um so i think one of the personal challenges I had was I actually worked unusually in a 100% non-clinical role. So um, I was five days a week as a teaching fellow and I didn't have any clinical work alongside that. And I initially was like, this is brilliant. This is exactly the break I'm going to need. But actually, as I was sort of then ramping up into sort of the last half of the year, realizing I was about to start an IMT job and hadn't touched a cannula or touched a patient that wasn't simulated for 12 months I actually suddenly realized that oh, oh my goodness actually I've had a long time now without any clinical work and was sort of doubting my ability there so one of the things I did struggle with and was probably less positive from my role is I would have liked to have kept my foot in the door with clinical medicine a little bit more um, but that was that was quite unique to my role um, I think one of the other challenges as well was both a positive, now I can sort of look back on it, and also a challenge at the time, was coming into the role as someone who had 
very ad hoc and no real formal training in education outside of the stuff you get at university when I was very first sort of asked to sort of design a program essentially um I felt very sort of out of my depth initially and can reflect back and one of the good things about doing the PG cert alongside it was that I kind of got that kind of formal training in sort of understanding theories of education but also was encouraged to sort of reflect on my development as a teacher I can look back and see that actually some of what I was doing at the beginning, I was echoing a lot of probably poor teaching practice that I'd had delivered to me when I when I was um, sort of just sticking within the comfort zone of what I felt comfortable teaching. Um, and that developed a lot over the year, but I found that quite challenging at the start. So I'd say those were my two main things, sort of initially feeling quite out of my depth, but then that being a positive in the end and then wishing I'd sort of maybe had a little bit more clinical time. I think that's really helpful, actually, particularly the point about the clinical time, because when people, I'm sure people listening to this currently as F2s, for example, will be starting to think about what they might want to do if they want to do a, a CTF year. And actually knowing that as something you might want to think about is really, really helpful. So thank you for that. Sam, what about you? Any challenges for you? I think, um, I think um, just to echo Polly's point, actually, um, feeling out of depth is is really really uh, rife at the start of the year and um as you've alluded to rob with you teaching uh obs and gyne which you says laughable for you um i think for most people who are post f2 teaching ophthalmology uh i, I don't know many people who are like, oh yeah i really know my red eye um so that was a struggle for me but actually i'm turning it into a positive it was really helpful when it came to then my GP exams, like going um, the MSRA. That was really useful, actually doing a bit of stuff that I'm not familiar with. Um, but then to out of depth, that's just me adding to Polly's point there. The big one I think of in my head is admin. Uh, there's a lot of uh, administrative tasks associated with the role, with such as timetabling, even keeping on top of your email, which I think for F1 and F2, we all neglected our NHS emails. And it gets filled with the, the newest schemes that the hospital's trying to reduce the burden of patients on the hospital. And it was just, yeah, trying to keep on top of like emails coming in, timetabling. It's those kind of things. You think it would just be great to rock up and teach someone venipuncture but actually you've got to book the kit out you've got to request all the kit you've got to make sure you have enough for all the students doing it are you going to make sure that it's available uh, the session's available for all students and while at the end you learn how to manage it um it's not necessarily a fun part of the job but um i think that my colleagues at points saw me trying to plan um a practice oski and i looked like a, a conspiracy theorist with a's b's c's and d's all written all over a, a whiteboard um so there is some problem solving to it which i did find fun at certain points but it can be a bit of a challenge and um the i guess the the fi uh, the final one would be um managing team dynamics um it's unusual working with a team so closely because i was in a team of nine um to work with that team for 12 months i'd never done that in any other job and actually it was good fun and we made it fun by the end but the start you realize oh there's very much differences you've got people from very different backgrounds they've done f1 f2 in a different spot they've been to different universities and they have different priorities like for me and i'm sure katie will attest to this being down the southwest peninsula uh, grads we love our reflection and then you get other universities that perhaps we all know reflection is important based for GMC's guidance, but some may emphasize, I know, dissection over reflection. I've never dissected anything. Um, so, yeah, so man managing those. But by the end, it felt a bit more like the US office where there's all playing, like, playing some simple pranks on each other, that kind of thing. So it became fun in the end. But yeah, at the start, um, a little bit challenging. 
I think it's the what you've both mentioned is that there's this whole uh, professional identity formation like shift. I think there's lots of literature about it of, as educators or new career educators and particularly that step from, oh, by the end of F2, I'm a decent SHO. I can kind of, I can, and I've, you've completed that. And then you suddenly take this slightly um, sideways step into a teaching role and it's a whole new beast and you may have had some experience before but this is your whole job now and that kind of that journey of what is it to to and what what do I want in this role what do I want to do what how do I do it all of those kind of things are uh, sort of well described and have been echoed here um I think you've all you've we've all mentioned some of the things that we've done and we were um happy with with our roles what was what were you most proud of achieving during your year as a teaching fellow? Oh, I think that's a really good question actually. I think I think there's probably two different things. I think from a specific thing that we did that we made that I think actually made an impact on the students um, was what we did for the fifth years in our last sort of couple of months of the job. And I think this was partly because um, as a group of CTFs at this point, we knew each other really well. We knew how each other were working and had sort of found that confidence of let's look at doing something a little bit different and a little bit that isn't just sitting with a PowerPoint set and delivering some teaching to someone. So we created um, sort of a really student-centered transition program for fifth years um, going into F1 at our trust. So it included basically, they, they had a survey where they told us what they were worried about we created from scratch a whole set of sessions based off the sort of key keywords that were coming up over and over again. So it focused on not only clinical medicine, but also a lot on like how to manage your life as an F1, how to, you know, deal with what a payslip is, whatever they wanted. And we also then did quite uh, an ambitious sim program that was sort of created by one of our teaching fellows who'd worked there for a couple of years that was a, a simulated on call with a bleep they had we had sim patients we basically used every member including our admin team who were acting as angry angry relatives and stuff like that and sort of over a two-week period delivered this to them in their sort of transition to sort of finishing their their, their final year and at the end of it the feedback we got was really great you know I think did a lot of sort of self-esteem and confidence building for them in that transition to practice and it also sort of felt like a point where we were all sort of putting the stuff that we'd learned and troubleshooted and kind of realized didn't work and sort of managed to create a program that actually felt sort of quite accomplished and something that hopefully fingers crossed anyway they've told me they will will be carried on sort of into the coming years so I think that was sort of my proudest sort of point at which I felt like we've delivered some meaningful teaching that actually I think has made some impact to some students and then the other aspect one of the things that like on sort of more of a sort of sort of like a development of sort of personal kind of skills and things that I really valued was I did a lot more pastoral work than I'd been expecting and I was sort of really really like proud of us as a team of how I think none of us had really come into it expecting that we'd be such a port of call for students. But I think, you know, they see a peer figure who's not that dissimilar from them, particularly when they're coming into their final years. Um, and actually 
kind of stepped up and we had to do a lot of work with sort of managing students with additional needs, students who had sort of adverse life events and just 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 life happening to them whilst they were there. Um, and I was proud of sort of the sort of skills we I learned personally managing that and also how we were able to support those students. So I think, yeah, a lot of sort of like being able to develop sort of a meaningful teaching program and then some of those soft skills about it, being able to support the students as well in ways I wasn't really expecting to when we came into the job. Amazing. Yeah, actually, we, um, the sort of pastoral role as, as a teaching fellow really, um, I knew it was part of the job having sort of used that, used teaching fellows for my support as a medical student. But then actually when we became teaching fellows and actually um me and my team ended up doing a mini research project on it was actually what do we get involved in we we collect we sort of retrospectively looked at our, the data of some conversations we had and recorded with the students we were looking after and kind of the whole gamut of issues that we were dealing with where it was housing whether it was friends where it was a relationships wherever it was sometimes like medical advice it's like no no you need to go to a and e um or um to like study skills and supporting them and getting them through resets and those kind of things it's such a vast and quite a, quite a privilege i think mm-hmm. as medics we probably all are kind of we're used to doing that with patients but it's a different relationship when you're doing it with um the students that you're looking after and i really liked it as a as part of my role how about you, Sam? What was your greatest achievement? Or it's a it's a tough call to think about, like one in in particular, because there's actually lots of things that we achieved as a team that I think I'm really proud of. But I think one I can remember one day in particular, I walked back and I was on cloud nine, um, and it was I delivered um, a lecture twice, um, so to half the year three students, then the other year three, and it was um it was about reflection and showing my peninsula colors again um i i was nervous about it because when we were talking at the start of the year saying we need to squeeze in all the clinical skills that year threes need now they're into their clinical period and we we're talking about reading ecgs and venipuncture cannulation and i said what about reflection and it did get a bit of a laugh from the group um but i said but that's a really important clinical skill and actually one that they'll need from the off um rather than perhaps interpreting chest x-rays and and i can't it was said to me it was like sam if that's what you think you deal with it. And I was a bit nervous for it because I was thinking, okay, I've now got to convince students that reflection is a great thing. Um, And I can look back and think it is because I've done work through a pandemic, which was horrifying in so many ways doing that work and reflection really got me through it. But how do I convince these, these group of students that probably will see reflection on their timetable and be um, not wanting to turn up, but actually they came along and what I did was I opened up about my own experiences and being very open and honest with them and then using behavioral psychology to kind of analyze how I behaved, how patients behaved, how colleagues behaved. The students really engaged with it. And actually, I got the best feedback I've ever had for teaching sessions. And I remember walking away from uh, the office that day yeah, on cloud nine because the feedback was great. And one in particular that just said, Sam is good. And I thought, oh, if I could just get that put on like my wall as my future GP, just Sam is good. That'd be great. I'm just wondering if you've actually secretly got it tattooed somewhere now. Is that... uh, I will not disclose that right now. <laughs> I... 
It's been an absolute pleasure listening to your um, experiences of work and um, especially there's been a really strong theme of reflection and well-being and self-preservation and cultivating the workforce for, you know, to have really patient-centred care. And that's beautiful. I was just sort of reflecting on on my own experiences briefly as well. And um, I'll just share with you one of the it's similar in a similar vein on the different end of a end of the spectrum from the final years in your story Polly but um it was essentially the advent of this new program that has launched in Plymouth just over it's in its third year now um so the foundation year for people from um low-income backgrounds from white so it's a winding access foundation to medicine course and they've been working on it for years and I've sort of been involved as a stakeholder and in focus groups as a student trying to get this program running and I didn't have anything to do with setting it up but fortunately was able to lecture on it in its very first year so and it launched in um, 2021 so the year of COVID as well it was a nightmare and these students honestly they came quite like nervous, relatively shy, and many of them lacking a lot of confidence in their own abilities to be in the ivory tower, lots of care leavers, ex-asylum seekers, really diverse um, group of students whose grades in science may be slightly less than their peers in year one, but negligibly so but with a wealth of life experiences that many other people will not have ever lived through. And it was at the end of their, I did reflective small groups. So another, another ode to reflectives, that reflective work. Sam with them. So it was, it was their um, fortnightly group where they had to discuss their placement experiences and um, reflect on their role in those environments. And all placements had essentially been cancelled. It was awful um, because it was COVID and they were year zero. So they really were the sort of bottom of the food chain when it came to any sort of placement provision. So I had to come up with like scenarios and get them talking about experiences of their own life or family or friends. And we'd reflect on them instead. Essentially, it was really difficult. And I was not getting buy-in from the other year groups at all. And this cohort of students, I don't know whether it was something about who they were or their group dynamics, but they just absolutely loved it. And they every week they were like, we're so excited to see you. And the way that they reflected and their journey from the start of the year to the end was just something beautiful. And it, I just thought it fitted quite nicely with um, some of the things that everybody else was sharing. And that was a moment of pride and enjoyment. I think there is always something in that. I think of all the teaching I did, I enjoyed teaching our third year. So I taught Nottingham students. They they do a six. Their third year clinically is only sixteen weeks, but the trajectory that they go through in that sixteen weeks and getting to work with the same group of students over that time period, um, I just think it's amazing. And the growth, I really like that when you see that longitudinal growth of people. And I think coming back to sort of. Some of the you said some around team dynamics as well. That working in a team for a prolonged period of time, I think, is really satisfying. Seeing people grow over a period of time is really satisfying. But it, I think maybe my thing that I'm most proud of is slightly different in the sense that um, I only realised how proud of it I was after I'd left the job. Um, and so I worked. Um, and I, I don't. I certainly don't want to take the credit. So my colleagues. Dr. Holly Kingsnorth and Dr. Dan Mitchell had spent had started the year before me and had, had really revamped our 
third year curriculum and how we delivered it um at one site and I sort of then implemented that at the other placement site and I was quite proud of how I did that I tweaked things a little bit more in comparison to to the work Dan and Holly had done um and it was quite a battle to do it I worked with some quite um some colleagues that had some slightly more old-fashioned views shall we say about how teaching should be delivered and it was there was a battle there we did it and it got really good feedback but as part of me selling it to to colleagues on my site I'd done a full curriculum map to demonstrate how the way I was intending us to deliver it how every single learning outcome was going to be covered through the 16-week placement and the medical school knew we'd done this and were quite pleased with it but then at the start of the pandemic they came and asked us across the three of us whether they could take that and deliver our curriculum online across the entirety of the medical school for students when they, they all their placements were cancelled and for me that's the thing I'm most proud of is to think that not only did I make a difference to the students I taught but also actually I made a difference to a cohort of students that came after I, I'd gone back into clinical work and I think that was a really nice thing um, to sort of have that and I think if I think about what I took most out of the year it, it's that that kind of the opportunity to do those skills that curriculum planning and stuff that that you don't get necessarily the opportunity to do sam i you what you waved a bit i did wave uh thank you the um i think it was uh thinking what a lot of what you guys have said the it's about sustainable change like you've you've said that you've you've implemented things and you've achieved um, so what hopefully will be sustainable change. Like Polly, you said that yours hopefully is going to stick around for years to come, your um, transitions for uh, for practice. And I think that is the hard part of, I think, being a clinical teaching fellow is that most people go into the role knowing they'll only do it for a year. And if you can somehow embed something that you've introduced, that that is the, that is the dream really for that. So with the reflection thing that I did, got very good feedback and I even had students coming to me saying oh Sam like I've been dealing with this problem and like can you resend me those slides just so I can use it they'd come back to me and say oh that really helped me process this thing going on in my life and like that's amazing but when I when I tried to angle for this to this um setup to stick around rightly so I was told but Sam this relies on a CTF working who's willing to talk about their own experiences like you did and and I was like you're so right but what it has shown is that there's an appetite for reflection and for reflection teaching, but it's then how we go about it. Um, but what you guys, it sounds like you've all achieved, which I failed in, is getting that sustainable change. And I think that's definitely something to be proud of and something to to aim for. For anyone who's listening, who's starting a CTF role or is uh, looking to do one is, um, yeah, bring about that sustainable change. Thank you so much for sharing all of your experiences, everyone. Um, I wonder as a sort of way to um, close today's episode and thinking about, we always like to end on a sort of advice or something to look forward. And I wonder what your top tip would be to someone who's applying or thinking about applying for a teaching fellow role or a lecturing role. What, what would your advice be? Um, I think my biggest piece of advice um, for anyone, particularly coming from a background like mine where I had had interest in teaching but maybe didn't have tons of experience, is that be go into your applications and your interviews just showing that you're passionate and the experience that you have had and look at, have a good think about and reflect on sort of how whatever teaching experience you have 
has given you that kind of passion and drive to get into teaching. And you'd be surprised the opportunities that are there for people who are in their early career, who might not have had a lot of experience and people will still want you and you will still get a lot out of getting into one of these roles. That's pretty good. That's pretty hard to follow. Um, I, I, um, I guess I'd say dream big. Like if you're, uh, that's next to my Sam is good on my wall. Um, dream big. Basically, like if you're, if you're applying for the job, everyone else who's applying wants to teach. But if you want to teach, why do you want to teach? What do you want to do with that? You're going to have an opportunity. You're going to have a cohort of students that you're going to work with. What do you want to, what do you want to do? What do you want to deliver? What do you want to organize? Dream big and, and plan like you're going to be there for five years even though you're probably only gonna be there for one or two plan like you're gonna be there for five because then you'll bring about a change that is sustainable and this is what i was getting at before is that it's really hard if you think you're just going to be there for a year you spend the first month two months figuring out the job you spend the last month two months thinking whoa well i'm moving on to something else now and actually that's time that could be dedicated to to your big plans that you have that you can still kind of oversee from a distance like when when we're working in the hospital we're doing a shift. We hand over at the end of the shift. We don't we don't clock off a few hours before the end of the shift. Or I hope not anyway. Uh, maybe Rob does an Obs and Gyne. But, um, but yeah, so you, and you can then, with your big plans, you can then hand over to someone to then carry on that plan. And that sustainable change, because that's what CTFs bring, is that fresh pair of eyes. So bring something new, bring something exciting. And even if it's beyond the scope of one year, try and get it get it out there. And that will then show if you're applying for the job that you really are committed to the to medical education. It's not just, oh, I just I just want to teach. It's you actually have those big plans. I quite like that. I quite like thinking big. And I think that's quite a nice way of thinking about it. I guess mine is a bit more of a practical tip, if I'm honest. And I think it's sort of highlight some of the things we've shown is there's such a variety of different jobs out there. So I think when you're thinking about what you want to apply for, work out what you want to get out of the year and find the job that then works right for you. So do you want to do some clinical work or not? Is this an opportunity for you to get a qualification? And if so, is that fully funded? I was really lucky. My master's was fully funded with a day a week of study leave. I I don't necessarily know any other organization that offers a package that good as as mine, or actually you prepared to put some of your own money and time into it if that's less important And, and working out what's the right role for you to get out of that year or two years what you want um one of my bosses in my leadership fellowship said to me whenever you do something as part of your career that's part of a sort of training opportunity think what will I put at the end of this year or two years as two or three lines on my cv and that should be part of your thinking when you apply for things and I think that's quite a helpful way of thinking about it Katie have you got a top tip for applying or think or preparing to apply for a teaching role whether that's at a uni or at a medical school or at teaching fellow job I think everybody's covered the main thing I would just say just reflect on your own values and your ethos and um, what you're going to bring to an organization but what can they bring to you as well I think that's like any job though isn't it that just quite transferable but I think there's been some very solid strong advice already and I don't think I can add anything else Thank you so much, um, Sam and Polly, for joining us this evening. Um, It has been such a pleasure talking about you, and I am very reminiscent of my year as a teaching fellow. It's brought back lots of good memories. Um, So thanks once again for joining us.
thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. That was such a lovely discussion. Um, It was really nice to think back to my year as a teaching fellow and sort of all the challenges of the role, but also what I managed to achieve and I'm proud of and actually how it's affected my career now and the choices I'm making and the additional jobs I'm taking on alongside my clinical work that I don't have time for. But um, it was... I would thoroughly recommend a teaching fellow year to anyone who's interested what a lovely discussion with polly and sam hearing about their journeys to applying for their clinical teaching fellow roles the work that they got up to some of the challenges that their roles sort of included those moments that they and we were really proud of and how for you as listeners, you too could be clinical teaching fellows or if you are, have a think about what you're doing at the moment and how you can take it to the next step. I think it was um, really nice as well to have the opportunity to reflect back because for me, it's been quite a long time now since I I did that role and to, to remember that. But I did think it was really interesting the fact that all of us, in spite of us all doing really different jobs in different places across the country, so there were a lot of really common themes about what we'd all got out of our years as clinical teaching fellows. And I think that says a lot about actually how useful they are as a, a stepping stone into future education careers and developing those skills. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, thank you again to our guests, Polly and Sam, for joining us for this discussion. If you have enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. You can find out more about TASME, ASME and our many other groups at asme.org.uk and make sure you follow us on Twitter or x at TASME underscore UK. Um, as always, a massive thank you to the podcast team and the wider TASME committee, as well as Amlunya for our theme music. Thank you for listening to TASME Time and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you.